0: Thank you, Pastor Tim. It's amazing, you know, as Pastor Tim was going over the prayer request and particularly looking at the kingdom concerns and we hear stories of the awful, tragic, uh, persecution of people, uh, you know, around the world who, who are being hunted and, and hounded and tortured and, and executed simply because of their faith. And, you know, I couldn't help but think religion kills. Man-made religion is behind so much of the persecution that you see represented on our prayer request as many Christians in the Middle East and other parts of the world are being persecuted because of their faith in the Lord. Not just Christians, but certainly that's in the spotlight with all that's going on with the terrorist activities in the Middle East. But you know, even as we look at the book of Acts and as we consider even... The, the lives of the early apostles and, and the early church. You know, it was organized religion that created so much of the agony that the early church experienced. It was, it was the early church that was, uh, it was religion that was threatening the existence of the early church and persecuting those early church leaders. And one in particular, the Apostle Paul, that we've been focusing in on in these latter chapters of the book of Acts. We see that Paul has been enduring great pain and hardship and heartache at the hand of man made religion, speaking primarily of Judaism of that day. And so I'm going to invite you to go back in your Bibles to Acts chapter 23 where we'll pick up in verse 11. And, you know, as you find your way there, or you may already be there, it's interesting, as we relive the experiences of the Apostle Paul during what had to be one of the darkest and most dangerous, exceedingly, you know, uh, heartbreaking episodes in his ministry, you know, the church today is afforded a very valuable lesson. A lesson on the nature of our Lord and, and His divine dealings with His people And our life situations and struggles, as we look at Paul, we can learn. That's the beauty of the Word of God. It is the living Word of God. It's not some ancient text that's not relevant and does not apply to, to the life situations that we find ourselves in. If you, if you read the Word of God, inspired by the Spirit of God and illumined by the Word, by the Spirit of God, there are so many wonderful lessons for us to apply to our lives today. We can learn from Paul's experiences and I pray God that none of you will find yourselves in prison because of your faith or being threatened because of your faith. But certainly, as we watch Paul and we watch how the Lord interacts with Paul during this very dark time in his life, the last time we left off in our previous message, we found that Paul had himself, uh, he's, he's been detained by the Roman soldiers. He's been the victim of a, of a riotous mob. He's been the victim of uh, he, the subject of some awful beatings by the public and, and, and threats upon his life and now finally the, the humiliation of having to be arrested by the Roman soldiers and, and threatened with even a, a scourging, which was an awful, torturous whipping that the Romans would do to extract a confession out of us. So Paul's in, in a real fix and and we find him here in the barracks of the soldiers in Fort Antonio, which is just there in the city of Jerusalem where the Roman garrison is housed and Paul is under house arrest if you will in that uh, very unfriendly environment
1: and I was thinking as I
0: was just recounting in my mind all that Paul was experiencing I thought to myself and how do you spell a bad day <laughs> my goodness And yet we see that in the midst of this awful bleak moment in Paul's life that the resurrected Christ comes to Paul. And I want you to hear, I want you to see, I want you to experience what Paul experiences through the Word of God, but I also want you to hold that up against your life. Now granted, you're not being persecuted yet for your faith, you've not been arrested because of your faith, you don't experience death threats like the Apostle Paul, but I guarantee you... Every one of us as followers of Jesus Christ and being committed to the Word of God will experience times, trials in our lives that will be dark. Our circumstances may be dangerous. We may find ourselves facing trials. It's good to know some of the things that Paul learned through this, and I hope you will. One of the first principles that I want you to extract out of this comes right out of verse 11, our beginning passage and it talks about the presence of our lord the presence of our lord if you see paul in that dark jail cell or in that those cold army barracks where he's confined after all this and you know not only has paul been subjected to beatings and threats but he's witnessed and actually been the focal point of a riotous eruption between the sanhedrin where paul sparked One side against the other. The Sadducees against the Pharisees. You remember the Pharisees were pretty much on Paul's side because they were Pharisees. Paul was a Pharisee. And he had declared his belief in the resurrection or life after death and supernatural. Which the Pharisees. So even that, Paul, even in his hearing before the Sanhedrin, experienced somewhat of a riot, if you will. And so there he is, separated from friends, separated from the church. Separated from familiar environment and, and in the midst of these coarse pagan Roman soldiers that night. Look with me in verse 11. Luke records for us. But the following night the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. You know, when Jesus comes to his people, when the Lord comes to us and he does his presence and he manifests his presence, I see a couple of purposes right here fulfilled with the Apostle Paul. Number one, when the Lord comes, he's encouraging his disheartened saints. Who among us who are faithful to the Lord haven't found ourselves in situations that can be just disheartening, discouraging? And the Lord understands that. And when He comes to us, He He comes with a purpose. He came with a purpose to Paul. Number one, He wants to reinforce our faith in those times of trial. And this is important because we need to understand that when we go through the fiery trials, like the, the Apostle James said in the book of James, in chapter 1, he says, Brethren, count it joy when you find yourself experiencing these fiery trials, knowing that these trials are there for the benefit of your faith. To to perfect your faith, to, per, to mature your faith. There's a purpose. You're not just randomly going through hard times without God knowing, without God caring, and without God being with you. And the Apostle Peter, who himself knew something about persecution, is writing to the early church in First Peter. In chapter 1, in verse 6, Peter's writing to the church that's being persecuted at that time by the madman Roman Emperor Nero. And Peter says this in in chapter 1 of verse 6, he says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul is being reminded by the Lord that Paul, your faith is undergoing a test. You will emerge out of this. There's a purpose in you going through all that you've gone through. How many times did, 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 did the, the, the Spirit of God warn Paul time after time going to Jerusalem, it's not going to be a picnic, it's not going to be a, 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 a ticker-tape parade. You're not going to be welcomed with open arms, Paul. It's going to be trials, it's going to be hardship, there's going to be persecution. Paul didn't walk into the situation in Jerusalem blindly. Nor should we. Nor should we. Because the Lord said, if you are faithful in following Me, He says, if the world hates Me, it's going to hate you. Be ready. If you stand on your faith, there will be these trials that your faith will generate. But also, the Lord standing with Paul, and I like that, by being present with Paul in that jail cell, in that Roman soldier's barracks, He's reminding His apostle of the sovereignty of God. Unlike like any of the false deities surrounding Christianity of that time, our God is real. Our God is, is supreme. Our God is sovereign. Our God is in control. To reassure Paul, sure, you're having a hard time. Sure, you're here isolated and lonely. Sure, you're hurting from all the beatings you've sustained and the scars you've received. But he's reminding Paul that God is still in control. I think about another wonderful biblical figure who understood this clearly and reflected it in one of his favorite psalms. David, when he wrote Psalm 23 and verse 4, he says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. Did you get that? Not because of what God's going to do, not because of what he's expecting in the future. David says, listen, I'll fear no evil because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And in the darkest and the most dangerous times, like Paul's experience here, Jesus is standing with him as if to say, Paul, you don't have to worry. God of the universe, who spoke the stars, the constellations, and and created and fashioned you in your mother's womb. The God who controls all-powerful, who is all-knowing and eternal and unchanging. The sovereign ruler and sustainer of the universe. I'm right here. I'm right here with you. Wow. Now that's encouraging. He comes to comfort his beleaguered servants as well. Paul knew something about comfort because he wrote about it when he wrote to the church at Corinth. In 2 Corinthians in chapter 1 verse 3. Listen to what Paul wrote to that group of Christians about our God. He said in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our tribulations that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Pastor Tim was asking us to pray for the family of Don Adams, and certainly I know many of you have and and you will continue to do so. But you know, they will receive comfort. Don's son Todd and his wife Trish, they, they will receive comfort. There will be people who will come alongside of them over the next few days or even today who will say things to them, to, to them like, I know how you feel. I've lost a parent. I know the hurt. I know the void. I know that terrible suffering of loss there. I, I know how you feel. Listen, when people can come alongside of you and empathize with you, it is a comfort. But ladies and gentlemen, there's no comfort to compare with the comfort that God Himself can give to us. And so Jesus being with the Lord is is, is saying to, to Paul, listen, now, I think it's great because the way Luke records it here, Jesus didn't simply speak from above. He didn't send an angelic messenger to, to, to Paul at that critical time in his life to say, Paul, Jesus sent me to tell you. Now that would have been okay and fine. But Jesus understood the significance of his appearance. And it doesn't say vision in the translation that I'm reading it says that night that the Lord stood by him. Stood by him. That means right there next to him. Just as Jesus appeared in that that room with His disciples following His resurrection, that evening of the of the resurrection of Christ, you remember the disciples were all huddled together, the doors locked, the windows barred, it was you know, huddled together in fear, and, and just poof, Jesus appeared. He was with them. Nothing could be more reassuring or more comforting to them than the presence of the Lord to be with them, to stand with them. And that's what He's doing with Paul. And i got good news for you. Brothers and sisters, in your time of greatest struggle, greatest pain, the hardships that you suffer, I promise you, if you are tuned in to the Lord, you will sense His presence. He is with you. I'm thankful that God doesn't have to delve out His presence and be in this part of the world, this time, in this part of the world, that time, or with this crisis at this time. Listen, as earthquakes, earthquakes occur and tornadoes occur and as murders occur and as terrorism occur. Listen, God is everywhere. And He knows what we're going through. And He cares. You know, I think about Psalm 91. Verse 15, where the Lord is saying to His people, He's saying, you know, Then He shall call upon me, and I will hear Him. I will be with Him in trouble, and I will deliver Him and honor Him. That's a promise from the Lord. And when you're, you're a child of, of God, the, the sovereign ruler of the universe, and He says, listen, I hear you. I hear you. It may be at the midnight hour, the early wee hours of the morning when all the world sleeps peacefully and your heart is broken and your, your eyes are just swelling with tears and, you, and you're, you're in absolute agony. God says, nobody else may not hear, but I hear you. I hear you. And not only that, He says, I'm going to be with you. You know, one of the greatest things about Christmas We talk about the birth of Jesus Christ and the wise men and the angels. You know, to me, the greatest thing about Christmas is in that one name, Emmanuel. Emmanuel! Oh, the miracle of the reality that in Christ coming into the world, God's people would have the unimaginable privilege of experiencing God with us everywhere we go. No matter what the circumstances are, We have that promise given to us in Hebrews in chapter 13, verses 5 and 6. I know so many of you all go to that so often. Where the Lord says, I will never forsake you or leave you. Isn't that the truth? Amen? He will never forsake us. He'll never leave us. There's nothing you can do. There's no situation that you or I could face that would cause God to back off. Only thing that drives a wedge between you and God, me and God, Is sin. And that's our part. That's our part. But God comes to us in those times of great need and struggle and hurt and anxiety and worry. He comes just to be with us. I remember 38 years ago, this Thursday, Jan and I were at the community uh, hospital in Roanoke, Virginia. Jan was getting ready to give birth to our very first. And so we were excited, and, and then that day, you did Lamar's training. Some of you my age can identify, because that's, that's where I think that there was a conspiracy with the, between the wives and the doctors to get the husbands out of the waiting rooms watching TV and boxing and drinking drinks and eating snacks. To get them in there to suffer a little bit too. So it was a, to get the dads in there to be, quote, coaches. You, you're going to coach your wife. Through this, you're important. They did let us bring a little snack sack. So we went to the classes and we, you know, they talked to us about, you know, how you help your wife to breathe. You know, have this rhythmic breathing and how to be aware at certain points in the you know as the, as the wife is dilating and, and, and the baby is progressing, what the husband should do and help her to be in the right position to be comfortable and, and da 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 got good, I got news for you, gentlemen. If you are a, a student of Lamaze, I'll tell you this much: do it from a distance because that sweet, loving, compassionate, romantic bride of yours suddenly becomes Godzilla. At a certain point in the in the labor pains. Don't get too close. I learned that the hard way. So then I backed off. And said, Honey, you need to breathe like that. But but anyway Everything was going smoothly. We got there that afternoon, and there were not many people in the labor delivery. Everything's going like clockwork along. And then I noticed a nurse came in, and she came and checked some things. She went back out. She came back in. She looked kind of concerned. Checked a few more things. She came back, went back out. She came back with a couple more nurses, and that really got my attention, because I'm looking through my Lamaze notes, you know. And they're saying, you know, this this baby is going to be big, this And another nurse said, yeah, yeah, she's gonna be, it's gonna be real big. We didn't know what the sex was because we didn't have sonograms back then. We just knew it was gonna be a big baby. And the nurse is saying, "You know, I don't know. I don't know if she's going to be able to deliver this naturally, and so you know, we, we may have to be prepared for a cesarean for surgery." And I'm, I'm really flipping through my notes now. I'm getting anxious, and you know, here's my bride, my sweetheart, and you know, they're talking about surgery. What happens if something happens to her? What, some, what if something happens to the baby? And so they just whisk her away, just like that, left me standing there with my Lamaze notes and my snacks. <laughs> and I remember feeling such anxiety. I was just a fairly new follower of Jesus Christ at that time. And we didn't have any family there. It was just me and Jan. And so our church family was relatively new, so we didn't have them there at that time. So just me and Jan. So when they took Jan, hey folks, it was just me. And I remember feeling so alone and feeling so concerned and thinking, what if something happens? I love this woman with all my heart. I'm looking so forward to being a daddy. What if something happens? Of course, I look back on it, you know, and everything worked out. But you know what I did? And I thank God. I thank the Lord. I, you know, He just, just came to me. Find some place where you can get with God. So I walked through the hospital and finally asked Him. And I said, Where's the chapel? Where's your chapel? And finally found their little chapel there at Community Hospital. And I remember sitting there, and I was, tears were coming down my eyes because I was concerned. I didn't know. I said, Lord, I, I, I said, I'm so afraid. you got to help me now. I'll never forget, brothers and sisters, never forget. What a sensation of the presence of of the Lord. He didn't come and stand by me as he did, Paul, but I tell you to this day, I knew that God's Spirit came into that chapel and this young Christian, this young daddy to be suddenly felt a warmth come over my soul, my heart, as to say, get on back in there. Everything's gonna be all right. Never have I been so thankful for the presence of God. And I did. I went on back and They were bringing Jan back. And here's the here's the ironic thing. Her doctor is a lady doctor. Dr. Collins finally got there to the hospital. They're updating her. She walks in. She doesn't look at the x-rays. She doesn't look at the reports. She just walks in, snapping on the hat. And she says, honey, how tall are you? Jan told her, I oh, don't What size shoe do you wear? She told her what size shoe you wear. You can have this, baby. Let's go. And I'm thinking, wow, he all was suffering the way, no, but sure enough. Now, Laurie turned out to be like nine pounds, fourteen and a half ounces, so she was pretty good size, but still, the presence of God, the presence of Christ there. But also, we see a valuable lesson about the providence of the Lord. And, and as, I, I was studying about this and I was looking at Dr. John MacArthur's commentary and he defined providence. God's providence, he says, quote, is his sovereign control over and ordering of natural circumstances to accomplish his will. And you and I are walking in the providence of God every day. You just don't think about it, but God has a purpose. God has a plan. He has a plan for the world. He has a plan for mankind. He has a plan for you and me. It's being worked out. Now as we pick up in verse 12, I want you to see, and just keep that in the back of your mind, God's sovereign control over natural circumstances to accomplish His will. Watch how God, now God has spoken. He's just told Paul, he says, listen, and, and look, you know, it's important that you understand what Paul, what Jesus said to Paul in verse 11. He says, Paul, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, and, and he's commending him. He's given him commendation there. You, you've done what I told you to do. You came here, you testified, but look what else he told him. So you must also bear witness at Rome. Now, verse 12. And when it was day, some of the Jews banded together and bound themselves under an oath, saying that they would neither eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. That's pretty serious. Now, there were more than 40 who had formed this conspiracy. They came to the chief priest and the elders, which, by the way, were the Sadducees, which were the enemies of Paul for sure. And they said, we have bound ourselves under a great oath that we will not eat. Nothing. We eat nothing until we have killed Paul. Now you, therefore, together with the council, suggest to the commander that he be brought down to you tomorrow as though you were going to make further inquiries concerning him, but we are ready to kill him before he comes near. And look at verse 16. Remember the providence of God. And when Paul's sister's son, that would be Paul's nephew, and by the way, this is the only scriptural reference to Paul's family, But it just so happened Paul had a nephew who happened to be in Jerusalem who happened to heard of their ambush. And he went and entered the the barracks and told Paul. Then Paul called one of the centurions to him and said, Take this young man to the commander for he has something to tell him. So he took him and brought him to the commander and said, Paul the prisoner called me to him and asked me to bring this young man to you. He has something to say to you. Then the commander took him by the hand probably because he's a young fellow and he's intimidated and just kind of takes him off to the side. And let me remind you too, unlike all the other apostles, the Apostle Paul is a Roman. Paul's Roman citizenship gives him clout behind bars that the other Jewish apostles would not have had. So when Paul says, look, this young man needs to see the commander, guess what? The centurion says, no, he's a Roman citizen, I better take him. So you see how God is working providentially? Then the commander took him by the hand and went aside and asked him privately, What is it that you have have to tell me? In verse 20, he said, The Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul down to council tomorrow as though they were going to inquire more fully about him. But do not yield to them, for more than forty of them lie in wait for him, men who have bound themselves by an oath that they will neither eat nor drink till they have killed him. And now they are ready, waiting for the promise from you. Verse 22, So the commander let the young man depart, and commanded him, Tell no one that you have revealed these things to me. And he called for two centurions, saying, "Prepare Now I want you to look at the armament. He's going to send one man to Caesarea, which is located about 65 miles northwest from Jerusalem, on the seacoast of the Mediterranean Sea. He's going to send one man, one prisoner, Nowadays, if you see a police car, it's got three policemen in there in one prison. You say, ooh, that that must be a bad bad guy. He's got an escort of three. I want you to see the number of soldiers that are going to accompany Paul to Caesarea. He says, prepare 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, and 200 spearmen to go to Caesarea at the third hour, which will be 9 o'clock at night. And provide mounts to set Paul on and bring him safely to Felix, the governor. I don't know about you all. I hear Felix and I think about a cat. See, that dates me. Felix the cat cartoon. I just you know, you get that in your mind. Okay, beside the point, Felix is the governor, okay? Not a cat, okay? But it's important too to see. Details are important. God is working providentially. Not only is he telling the commander, make sure that this Paul is protected to the hill, but don't let him walk. You put him on horses. You provide horses to get him all the way there. You put him in the midst of 70 cavalrymen, guarded by 200 spearsmen, 200 soldiers. it take a lot to get to Paul. And you get him to Caesarea. You, you may be thinking, oh, that, that is so nice of that Roman commander. That is so thoughtful that he would be doing that for Paul. I said, it's not the commander. It's the commander of the universe. It's the God who commands angels by the legions, who has the power to speak and, and wipe out constellations and, and planets. Listen, it's God who says, I want him delivered safely. Of course, God could have orchestrated it and Paul could have walked safely if he had wanted to, but that was not God's plan as we see. And then he wrote a letter, verse 25. He wrote a letter in the following manner. And in the Greek culture, when they wrote a letter, you always introduce yourself first before you address the person you're writing to. So verse 26, Claudius Lysias, to the most excellent governor Felix, greetings. This man was seized by the Jews and was about to kill, be killed by them. Coming with the troops, I rescued him. Having learned that he was a Roman. Now, you'll notice that Lysias here Claudius Lissus is bending the truth a little bit. He's saving face. Because he didn't find out that Paul was a Roman until he was about to scourge him, which was absolutely against the law. But he just says, oh, we, I'd already found out that he was a Roman, so I went rescue rescued the good Roman citizen. Okay, then you'll notice too in the letter to the governor... Lysias doesn't mention a thing about the scourging because that would have been terribly illegal, would have hurt his political career. But anyway, just things that you need to see. And and when I wanted to know the reason they accused him, I brought him before their council. I found out that he was accused concerning questions of their law, but had nothing charged against him worthy of death or change. In other words, Lysias, the commander, is saying, I think he's innocent. Verse 30, And when it was told that the Jews lay in wait for him, I sent him immediately to you and also commanded his accusers to state before you charges against him. Farewell. <laughs> That's how he closed the letter in the Greek, I guess. Then the soldiers, as they were commanded, took Paul and brought him by night to Antipatris, which, by the way, was a big city, a city that was built by Herod the Great on the border of Judea and Samaria. You'll notice the soldiers will leave at that point. Uh, The the mass of the soldiers, except for the cavalry, are going to leave and let Paul continue on. Why? Because they're out of Judean territory. The likelihood of the Jews following them into Samaria was very unlikely. Because, as you know, the Jews hated the Samaritans and they they wouldn't dirty their feet to go into Samaria. So, therefore, it wouldn't take as many soldiers. So, the next day, verse 32, the next day they left the horsemen to go go on with him and returned to the barracks. When they came to Caesarea and had delivered this letter to the governor, they also presented Paul to him. And when the governor had read it, he asked what province he was from. And when he understood that he was from Cilicia, Tarsus, he said, I will hear you when your accusers also have come. And he (coughs) commanded him to be kept in Herod's
1: praetorium.
0: God's providential plan... Number 1 protecting his faithful servant which God is doing here. Paul is a he's a, he's the target of, of a murderous plot and Jesus steps in. It's like one of these Hollywood suspense thrill, thrillers where you got these figures in the dark and they're you know plotting and planning and they got their scope rifles with the lasers you know they're picking out their target you know not quite that way but you get the gist of it. So you see how Jesus is working to disrupt. Listen, Satan had a plan. He had a diabolical plan to to put an end to this Apostle Paul and to disrupt God's work, God's kingdom work. Isn't that, that's been his plan from the very origin of time. And guess what, ladies and gentlemen, he's still at it. He's still developing plans to upset Christians, to upset churches, to do anything that he can to disrupt God's plan. But God is in control. Because as we see, the Lord orchestrated all the circumstances to thwart the enemy's plan. To get to Paul, to kill him, and to keep the gospel from advancing further. But also God has a providential plan, not just in protecting his faithful servants, but also in preserving his divine plan. And God's plan is to reach the world with the good news of the gospel. You know that plan was actually implanted in Paul's call back in Acts chapter 9 you remember when Paul was on the road to Damascus and Jesus struck him down and and he was blind and and he went into Damascus and Ananias came to Paul and told him there in verse 15 of chapter 9 he says he told Ananias go for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles kings Paul hadn't gotten before a king yet but by the providential work of God you'll see as we go further He will, and the children of Israel. So the plan was there. But you know, God had already planted in Paul's heart also, by the Spirit of God. God had already implanted in Paul's mind, in his heart, that though he had never been, he was going to make it to Rome. How do we know that? Because as we look in chapter 19 of Acts, you may recall, as we read this earlier, in chapter 19 of Acts, in verse 21, says so when these things this is when Paul was at Ephesus when these things were accomplished Paul purposed in the spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem saying after I have been there I must also see Rome in his heart Paul knew somehow some way after he had made it back to Jerusalem for the Pentecost he was going to get to Rome but also I think and I'll I'll quickly take you over to Romans in the in the letter that Paul wrote to the church at Rome in chapter 1 verse 9 just just listen to Paul's words he's in Corinth writing this letter that he sent on to the brothers and sisters in Rome whom he had not seen but they were there and Paul is saying this in chapter 9, uh, 1 Romans chapter 1 verse 9 listen to what he says for God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making requests, if by some means now at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift, so that you may be established. Rome was on the schedule, folks. The most convincing evidence of that we just read at the very beginning of our text this morning, when Jesus came to Paul... Stood by his side in the barracks of the prisoner, uh, of the Roman soldiers, and Jesus said to Paul, He says, Yeah, as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. Guess what, Paul? I got a ticket stamped with your name on it, and Rome is the destination. So you see, the plan of God was already in place. And although Satan was injured here and things to terminate Paul's life and his ministry there in Jerusalem, the sovereign God of the universe said, uh-uh, no. You know, nobody, nobody can terminate God's plan for one of His faithful servants prematurely. Don't you remember in Hebrews nine twenty-seven where the Scripture tells us it is appointed unto man once to die and after that the judgment. There's no speculation about, oh, they died prematurely, or this, oh, what an untimely death. Folks, when God has it appointed, that's when you go. I'm convinced of that. Now, the Jews, the conspirators, and the devil would have loved for Paul's life to have ended in Jerusalem. That would have fit right into their plan. But you see, God said, no, not yet. Not yet. He's still mine. He's got got work to do. And God was putting things into place to ensure that Paul... But not only when God has a plan to to send us places we should go, when God puts it on your heart that this is where He wants you to go to share the Gospel, to be a faithful witness, folks, it can be across the street. It can be across the country. It can be on the other side of the globe. If God puts it on your heart, this is where I want you to go, you've got to trust God that He'll get you where He needs you to be. God will deliver you. But also to do what God calls us to do. No matter how deep and dark the valley or how painful and trying the circumstances, listen, be faithful to God. Remember the words of Paul in Philippians 4.13 when he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If I'm successful, Paul says, in anything that I do, it's not me, it's not my strength, it's not my abilities, it's the work of Christ. It's the strength of Christ in me.
1: One of the things
0: that I certainly would like and I feel God would want you to take away from this message this morning as we look at the experiences of the Apostle Paul is that in the midst of hardship and trials and pain and struggle, tragedy, as you walk along in life and you're serving the Lord, individually and corporately as a church, Churches suffer through hard times and trials as well, ladies and gentlemen. Not just individual Christians. But we can take away from this the fact that because of the Lord's presence with us, because of His assurance that He'll never leave us, and because of His providential working in our lives, we don't have to wring our hands and fret and worry. Just... Keep our eyes on the Lord. Stay focused on His calling and do what He tells us to do. Go where He sends us to go. And have peace in our hearts. I like Philippians 4, 6 where it tells us, be anxious for nothing, but in all things, through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God that goes beyond understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's real. That's real. That's real. Paul could testify to that as he did in Philippians 4, six. But let me tell you something. Many other wonderful saints of the Lord who have walked through fiery trials and deep, dark valleys of despair could also testify to that very fact right there. That God is with us and that He is in control. We sang the song earlier in our worship time. One of my favorites by Horatio Spafford, a successful Chicago businessman back in the 19th century, who because of the Great Chicago Fire lost all of his business in the fire. But he was a godly man, a dedicated Christian. Seized upon the opportunity to go over to England and join with the uh, great evangelist Whitfield and some of those as they were doing great work over there in England. He he was going to take his family and go across the Atlantic and spend time there, kind of recuperate, re, reorganize get re, and, and come back. Some transaction caused him to be delayed so he sent his wife and his daughters, his three daughters ahead of him on a, a steamship going across the Atlantic Ocean. As fate would have it, their, their, their ship collided with another ship and they sank in the cold, icy waters of the Atlantic and he got a wire telegram from his wife back in the States. She was in London and sent the telegram to her husband. I alone have survived. I can't imagine. can't imagine what it would be to get a telegram saying all your children just suffered in a horrific shipwreck out at the ocean. Their, their, their bodies are lost in the dark waters of the Atlantic out there somewhere. He caught the earliest boat that he could to, to join his wife to, to help her and comfort her she was grieving as well. And as the story of this the song goes, as they got close to the spot, at proximity of where the ship went down, where his daughters and many, many others perished, the captain stopped, slowed the ship. Many gathered around the bow of the ship and just, you know, some had family down there and they wept and they mourned. And, and in that moment, he went back to his cabin and that's where he wrote these words that we were singing when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever in my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. How many Christians through the years, through the decades, have been encouraged by those words? They're written by a man who accepted the principles that God is with us no matter how horrific the circumstances are. And as crazy and as chaotic as the world can be, listen, God is still on the throne. He is still sovereign over all of the universe. And He is working out to the perfection His providential plan in the life of the church and in the lives of Christians. And we trust Him. Can you say that today? It is well. It's well with my soul. Thank you, Jesus.